0: Welcome to another episode of the Selfishness Project, where we explore the idea of selfishness. Today, I am pleased to have with me a special guest, Bernard Molyneux, who is a professor of philosophy at the University of California at Davis, and who also happens to be my advisor when I was a graduate student there. So, Bernard, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Dan. Okay, so let me start out by asking you just for a concrete example of either someone who to your understanding of selfishness you would say this is a selfish person or just some action which you would think of when someone says "Um, this was a selfish thing to do. Like what is it, what's a concrete example of some action someone might do that you would think of as selfish?
1: Well, um, I think the way the term is normally used, uh, selfishness means some kind of inappropriate self-interest. Uh, so somebody um, showing an excessive uh, interest in themselves, so maybe, I don't know, um, it would be selfish if uh, I was given a gift to share with someone and then they took the whole of the gift, so maybe a box of chocolates and then they ended up eating them all and they didn't, they didn't care whether I had any. Um, I'd say that's pretty selfish.
0: Okay, so maybe doing something for your own benefits, where you are in the process of doing that, you're being inconsiderate of others or unfair towards others.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's all there is to it. Um, I think you can be inconsiderate without being selfish. So um, I think maybe you know if if you're working, uh, if you're building a shed, and you're uh, hammering away, and you're working at you know, 1 a.m., banging that hammer, keeping everybody awake. Um, that can be inconsiderate, but it might not be selfish. Um, you, know, you might even be building the shed for, you, for your, your old grandma or something, and it's completely very much, very much a selfless act. But you're being pretty inconsiderate doing it at 1 a.m. So I'm not sure that that's, those are quite the same notion, but yeah, I think they're related.
0: OK, so maybe inconsiderateness and selfishness can come apart. Uh, I guess in the, in the case of that example, uh, one might think, well, the grandma ma- matters to him, uh, that's one of his personal relatives. So it's in his interest to do something that's going to please her because then he's going to foster his relationship with her. Whereas he might not care so much about the neighbors nearby. So actually this, this guy is doing something for his own benefit because his grandmother falls within the orbit of his kind of larger sense of self. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm aware of the fact that you've got a, um, a slightly different, more philosophical, technical understanding of the word selfish. So um, I think maybe that will count your sense of the term, but I, I don't think it would, it would count as selfish in the way that I'm using the term or... or My common sense understanding of the term i don't think it's an inappropriate self-regard when you're uh, building your grandmother a shed i don't know where i came up with that example Um, as for inconsiderate there's another thing about inconsiderate i mean just looking at the the word and trying to figure out uh what it it, you just look at the way it's built up from the it's you've got this idea of considering um and then you're it's inconsiderate you're not considering others uh, that seems to suggest a lack of thought. So inconsiderate seems very closely related to the word thoughtless to me. Um, where selfish seems to be orthogonal to that. So I can be selfish uh, while consider- well, considering others. That, I mean, I think about others, I just don't care. Um, that, would be, that could be yeah. selfish. Whereas being inconsiderate usually means that you didn't think about others. It's not that you were being actively malevolent. You were, you were not trying or, or, or you, were, you weren't actively disregarding other people's. Um, Interests. You were simply, um, you just—it just didn't occur to you that
0: uh, this would be a problem. Okay, so uh, I want to go back for a moment to the. You said I had a sense of selfishness, which is I guess, different than the normal sense. If I use it in to, to refer to someone who's building this uh, shelter for his grandmother. Um, so if you think of him as having, in a large sense of self-interest that includes other people, like doing good things for other people, um, that's not how the term is normally used. Yeah, there's
1: something that, the semantics of the term and its common sense usage I think kind of has inappropriate built in. So it's supposed to be some inappropriate self-regard. Uh, we're looking after your family, uh, yeah, that's looking after your interests, I guess, but um, that doesn't normally... Uh, fall within the, the range of something that's selfish. I think in, in the way the term is normally used. Okay. So I think self-interested. I would, yeah, okay, I could maybe be talked into that. Um, because there, you do have an interest in looking after the people that you love. Um, I'm not sure, I, I guess you'd have to convince me that when I do something for someone that I love, that it's solely self-interested. So I wonder if the only thing that I'm doing there is uh, looking after my own interests or whether I'm actually looking after my loved one's interests as well. Uh, so I might accept that whenever I do something for a loved one, I am at least partly looking after my own interests. Um, but I'm, I'm more reluctant to accept that I'm
0: only looking after my own interests. Okay. Let me bridge to a slightly different issue. Maybe we can come back to this or weave them together. So there are different ethical theories of how to act, uh, egoism, altruism, deontology, to use a fancy word, um, which I guess means just doing something um, not because of the consequences that result from it, but just because for some reason some action is good in itself. Um, maybe there are other positions. I'm interested in whether you have a view on, or, or a preference among these, these theories, or if there's other theories. Do you have a favored ethical theory? Um, well, I'm not an ethicist, so I'm going to
1: blunder around a little bit. Um, I can probably give you a better idea of what I like and dislike about these approaches, from my fairly naive perspective, I guess less naive than um, just the average person, but but more naive than a uh, professional ethicist. Um, I think that would be easier for me. So, I think uh, what the, some of the classical views, the, the the consequentialist views. So you know, let's just take the, the classical utilitarian view. So, the idea there is you, you do the greatest good for the act in order to do the greatest good for the greatest number. And I guess my issue with that is that it just doesn't seem like it really provides practical advice as to how to live your life. I really have no efficient, or even tractable way of figuring out how my actions are gonna affect um, everyone. And I don't know when, when does that calculation stop. I mean, every, every act that I have reverberates indefinitely into the future. If, if I have a child, Uh, That's an act. Um, Well, that's, you know, that person may be around for 60, 80, even 100 years. Uh, They may have kids. They may have kids. They may have kids. And I think there's a lot of little actions like that, um, which have a multitude of consequences that are uh, ongoing, never ending almost, and uh, unpredictable. And so it makes it very hard to... Try to figure out well what's going to cause the greatest good for the greatest number. I think very few cases in real life look like these philosophical trolley cases where um, You can, you know, kill one person to save five, and even those are are uh, can be somewhat difficult. So there's a lot of. If you change the variables on those, they they um, they change your intuitions quite radically. Um, I have probably similar objections to um, the classical Kantian views. You know, you act in such a way that you could will it to be a universal maxim. Again, it doesn't seem like a very practical advice, not easy to just figure out day-to-day how each of your actions uh, plays out as a universal maxim. Now, I think these, these views are nevertheless useful when you're trying to get at what it is that you care about in ethics and to, to try to dig into those views, but as practical codes for living by, I don't think they're very useful. Um, the, the egoist, uh, I, th- I think, is much more commonsensical in so far as um, act according to your own interests. If that's understood in, a, in an extended way, uh, to include, um, you know, my interest in, in, in uh, my wife, my interest in my family, uh, um, my extended interest in that sense. Look after, look after your own garden. Uh, that 's the that 's the idea there then i yeah I think that seems to cleave more closely to uh something intuitive um I think the price of that is that it might not yield as many insights um, uh i mean one philosophical view you could have let 's call it uh, intuitionism is um, act act according to what 's ever ethically intuitive and uh well you never get you never get counterintuitive results if you do that. Um, but it doesn't give you any kind of deep unifying principle. So um, sometimes when I think about egoism, I find that it's in, it provides me with a fairly straight path. There's a couple of bumps back to my intuitive views, but it, um, the price of that is I'm not getting an insight into uh, uh,
0: why I have those particular intuitions. Okay. I'm interested in the bumps you just mentioned. So there's certain. Well, this comes back to the thing that we were talking about earlier, which is, well, what do you
1: mean uh, by my interests? Uh, act only according to your own interests. Um, if, I, if I build my grandmother uh, a shed for her yard, um, you know, and I, I feel like I'm doing something nice for my grandma, so I feel like I'm looking after her interests. Um, but I think you would claim I'm only looking after my own interests. Um, I'm. I'm not sure. I, I guess I don't find it intuitive to to just look after my own interests. Uh, to to just use my, let kind of bring in the Kantian notion. To just use my grandmother as a means to an end. To just use my grandmother as a way of satisfying my own, in, my own interests. Uh, that I seems so. very kind of, yeah. yeah, mercenary and exploitative, and doesn't seem very ethical at all. It seems almost like a a sham of ethics. Like like you're a kind of sociopath going through the motions. <laughs> um, so I, I sometimes worry with egoism that it's extensionally getting the answers that I like um, with things like that. Like it's, it's saying, yeah, you should go help your grandma build a shed. So it's giving me that answer. But it, but when you look at the reasons why I'm, I'm doing that, those aren't the reasons that I,
0: I think are the ethical reasons for doing so. Hmm. Okay, so uh, digging into this example a bit, um, let's suppose that... Uh, you well first of all I, I, I am sensitive to this issue of saying oh I don't like it, it's kind of delicate the way you need to put it I think to make it seem like it's not the sociopathic kind of view yeah if you say you only care about your interests and not hers there's something weird about that but if if you if you phrase it a bit differently like the reason I care about her interests is because they dovetail with mine maybe that doesn't sound as bad but let, let me it still, it still sounds kind of bad to me let me put this g- give you this scenario and see what you think so let's suppose that you're uh you're not going to get anything out of for yourself out of building your grandmother this this shed you're not going to get any internal satisfaction no deep kind of uh meaningful experience it doesn't give you any happiness no benefit accrues to you at all from doing this. Um, in that case, do you th- like? It's not helping you have a good, warm relationship with her over time. None of that is expected from this action. I- if that's the case, do you still think it would be a good idea to well, build this ship? Well, it's one of those cases where,
1: in order to get myself into the into the thought experiment, I have to imagine certain, uh, elements of it in the background, I have to imagine that, you know, we've really fallen out. Um, so for me to get nothing from helping my grandmother, uh, you know, we really must have, uh, we, we must be in a bad place in our relationship. I mean, you know, what did she do? Did she, did she abuse me as a child or something? I mean, I, I, I have to start thinking like that. Um, and then I think I'm sullying the thought experiment. I, cause I, I think you want some kind of flat, neutral, uh, you have no interest, but you, you don't have any kind of antipathy towards your grandmother. It's just, there's just nothing in it for you. But I'm, I'm struggling to get into that headspace. Um, I think real situations just aren't like that. Uh, I, I can take the thought experiment seriously, nevertheless, if you want, um, and try to push through it and, and give you whatever intuitions I have, but I, I warn you they may be sullied.
0: Sure, or we could do both cases. We could take the case where you do have antipathy, so it seems more realistic. Yeah. Um, and then also the case where, for just whatever reason, um, maybe you, your emotional mecha, you had a brain operation and your yeah. emotions just got switched off. Right. Would there still be then? Well, I certainly.
1: So let, let's think about it. So I'm, I'm building the shed for my my grandmother. So normally I would not think. Uh, ordinarily, I would not think I was obliged to build a shed for my grandmother. There might be cases where I would feel like that if she'd been extraordinarily, she'd been an extraordinarily good grandmother, or she was uh, really couldn't. Um, help herself and couldn't afford anybody uh, to do it for her you, know, there, you can set up enough elements where I might feel a sense of obligation, but I would normally think that it's supererogatory, that I'm, I'm, I'm doing something nice, not because I have to, uh, ethically but um, just because, you know, I'm going above and beyond um, now in that case, if if we now imagine, that well yeah, your grandmother and you have a terrible relationship and um you know, she was awful to you, uh, pretty much your whole life. Well, I would be disinclined to go above and beyond for her in that case. Um, uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't do it, and I wouldn't feel ethically bad about it because, as I said, it's it's above and beyond in the first place. It's not it's not an obligation. So, so in that case, I wouldn't do it. I don't know if that's the answer to your question. Um,
0: so, in, in this this is one case where um since it's it's not benefiting you i guess because you have this grudge against her um you're not you're therefore not going to benefit her it's only insofar as well we th- this is what i'm ultimately trying to get at is it only insofar as you do somehow benefit from doing this for her that you will actually no but you see it's us like, if we change the case to where I mean, I, I think I am I can
1: imagine a case that's something like this. Especially, you know, this would likely be my attitude in my late teens. Um, uh, somebody suggests to me that I should go help build my grandmother's shed. And I don't want to. I want to hang out with my friends. Um, uh, I don't think there's anything in it for me. Uh, except hard work, which is a negative. I'm not going to get paid. Grandma's got no money. Um... She's not gonna love me any less. She's my grandma. Uh she's, she she loves me like crazy and doesn't matter what I do, right? And quite frankly, she hugs me too much and it's always a bit uh I don't wanna go. I don't wanna do it, but I do it. Uh and then, yeah, I think i <laughs> I think I'm solely acting out of her interests. Um There's nothing in it for me. She won't love me more, she's got no money. Uh she won't love me less if I don't. It's just, ah,
0: yeah, it's my grandma. I'll do it. Fine. So I guess, in if that's the in that scenario, I'm wondering, uh, like, sh- would it be better not to do it if if you judge that you're you're not getting anything out of this? No, I think it's better to do it. I oh, mean, that's my intuition. Uh, okay. I, I guess I, I want to understand. I think
1: that teen despite all the griping and moaning and rolling of the eyes if at the end of it that teenager actually then does uh help the grandma build a shed i think that is uh, a sign of character and you know that's, that's a
0: good kid they're going to they're going to grow up okay so i mean what makes it what makes that the better thing to do i if it's just an, a brute intuition i i guess we can't really uh unpack it and say yeah. why it, but yeah I'm wondering but it, th- this is this is bad for the egoist, right? This is not bad for me. I
1: mean, I just bring the intuitions to the table. I'm not I'm not bringing a theory here, but if your theory doesn't account for why that's the right thing to do, then that's a mark against your theory.
0: Well, I mean, the theory might say it's 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 not a good thing to do and that uh you you actually shouldn't do this and uh maybe y- you have the I- the intuition let's call it that that you should but maybe that's i don't know if intuitions can be mistaken but it's an intuition one might want to question i mean I, i can imagine myself in the if i'm in that situation and i don't foresee any any benefit coming to me like i'm not i'm not fostering my relationship with my grandmother she she didn't do anything to
1: I mean well okay so let me let me jump in there I mean maybe um, a point that you could make if um, is that well even though uh, your relationship may not hinge upon you helping your grandmother today uh, so you can do it today and you know she can't possibly love you anymore because she loves you as much as she can already and uh, if you don't do it she won't love you any less because you know it's just She's your grandma. She's, she's going to love you no matter what. But it's nevertheless in your interests to uh, nurture the relationship. Uh, so, yeah, maybe today you don't have to, but you do have to be putting in some effort into the relationship, you know, periodically, at times, enough of the time. Uh, and it is in your interest to do that. Then, yeah, you might be able to defend, uh, the theory might be able to account for it yeah with a strategy like that yeah
0: yeah and if if that's how i mean that is why i as an egoist meaning someone who does what's best for himself or thinks it's good to do what's best for oneself um that's how i would justify that right maybe i mean there's there's all kinds of things where i'm not getting any immediate obvious i don't get like a chunk of uh, cash (laughs) for doing it right um but I, I it's it's a, a small part maybe of building, fostering this healthy, yeah. enjoyable relationship over yeah. decades.
1: Yeah. No, I you know, and, and there are, I think there are parts of that that definitely ring true for me. I mean, so one of the things that uh, people will say, you know, to the we, let's imagine the case of the teen once again, who doesn't want to go around and see grandma and, you know, the the uh, the parent figure would say something like she's not going to be around forever. You know, and you're going to regret it uh, that you didn't you didn't take the opportunity to spend time with her um, later in life. So again, that's an appeal to your self-interest. So um, I think you could possibly uh, make some um, uh, some good moves there, some, some some good points on on behalf of your view. Um, so let me ask you something. So y- you. I guess one of my core ethical intuitions, I'm not sure this is an intuition, or, or maybe this is just a, a, a piece of theory that I, that I picked up at an early age, but is that ethics is supposed to be uh, externally directed. It's supposed to be about doing uh, doing well by others, right? Now, But you fundamentally don't think that. You think that uh, it's all about... Um, serving your own
0: interests.
1: And I guess I have, well, two issues with that. So the first one is, like I say, I have We're this... fundamentally
0: about serving your yeah,
1: interests. Yeah, so I, I have this instinct that, it, that ethics is supposed to be about uh, helping others. But I also have uh, another issue, which is, well, why is this ethics at all? What you're talking about is something else. It's more like kind of, you know, just behaving rationally, right? We don't even need ethics to... Uh, to, to say that you should behave according to your own self interests, uh, you know, we could just dispense with ethics. Why aren't you an ethical nihilist?
0: Yeah, so I guess here we're getting to the conception of what is ethics. Like, how should we understand it? If, it, if it's intrinsically or like by its very nature, it's an other-regarding kind of field, then yeah, I guess uh, what what I'm advocating is a non-ethical view or an amoral kind of view. But then I would, I would wonder, you know, why are we defining <coughs> ethics in this other-regarding way? I mean, if, if we think of ethics as just the science of what is good, figuring out what is a good way to live, well, why should that prejudge the issue of whether the, the, the good way to live is to be other-regarding or to be self-regarding? Why isn't that, at least at the outset, left as an open question?
1: Yeah, I mean, and I I admit that I don't know the answer to the question I'm about to ask or or have any good way to answer it. But, well, the good here is, there are different kinds of good. So, you know, it's good uh, not to eat too much cholesterol. Um, It's not, I don't think that is an ethical thing. I certainly think of it as uh, acting in in your own self-interests. You know, if you want to be healthy, you don't want to... eat too much of one food, too much fat, too much cholesterol, you don't want to eat too much sugar. Uh, so that's a self-interested act, but I don't think of it as an ethical act. So maybe maybe I should ask this question, What is um, what differentiates the self-interested acts that are ethical from those that are not ethical?
0: Uh, so <clears throat> I, I guess on my, my initial thought on that is I don't see that we need to draw a distinction um, between uh, ethical acts and self-interested acts. I think it could be, it could turn out, that um, ethics is essentially about benefiting oneself. And, um, I mean, we, we could ta- ta- discuss, you know, is that a right way to think of ethics? But. I don't see that as being off the table or, or why that should be a view that's off the table from the beginning. I mean, why, why not just take the view that ethics is the, is the science that studies whatever is good. And then um, whatever turns out to be good is, by definition, ethical. So if it turns out that eating cholesterol is a good thing for you, then it's an ethical thing for you. Um why, why not just go with that and that's actually what I think like if I'm if I'm on a diet and um, my doctor tells me you know you're, you're in danger of having a heart attack if you don't cut back on cheesecake and other fatty foods and I nevertheless indulge my short-range desires to you know have the cheesecake I actually think of that as an unethical thing to do um, I think that is an immoral choice. Mm to make and um, maybe that's uh, running counter to how most people think of ethics I guess. There's this term prudential like it's prudential to do certain things but not necessarily moral and I think of that as perhaps a false alternative Um,
1: Well yeah, I mean I I think it's not completely counterintuitive that that's got an ethical dimension so you know you think of the uh, in the Christian tradition you've got the 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 seven deadly sins and I think one of them is uh, gluttony, uh, so we, you can think of that as being kind of a, a similar idea. Like, well, if I'm a glutton, I mean, assuming you know, maybe if I'm a glutton and I'm hogging the the food that uh, others could be eating, then that's an other directed objection to my um, my being a glutton. But you you might also think that, well, no, you just a, you're abusing yourself by by being a glutton. Um, similarly, you know, my if, if I uh, if I'm slothful, if I'm lazy, you know, if I just sit around playing video games all day, um, well, what harm is it doing? It's not harming anybody else. Uh, you might take the view that there's nothing ethically objectionable about doing that because it's there's nothing, there's no sin that's other-directed. But you might also take this view: you no, know, there's there's a there's some kind of uh, wrong uh, performed against the self in that case. So may, maybe maybe that um that isn't so counterintuitive um I had another question I wanted to ask though oh oh right it's this if you think of that if you think of ethics as just being the the study of of what's good or as you put it the science of the good i'm not sure it's the science, but we can, we don't have to get into that um so okay, great so uh what's good for me is um I don't know. Uh, making some money. Uh, what's good for, uh, you know, some a uh, homeless person that I mean, uh, is I I give him the money. Now, let's assume that um, I have no interest in, in giving the homeless person money. I'm not serving any of my interests. Let's just stipulate that. Uh, but I will be serving his interests in giving him the money. Now, my question is. Okay, well, one of these is good for me. One of these is good for him. Um, why should I prefer the one that's good for me over the one that's good for him? If all we're interested in here is doing the good, maybe I should just flip a coin. You know, There's a good either way. One good for me, the different good for him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a second. I mean, I don't really want to get into this. Is not really my point. My point isn't, oh, you could do more good to him because that money will be worth more to him. I think that's an auxiliary point in the background. But I want to just focus upon this idea of, well, if you're studying the good, there is no the good if all the goods are relative to different individuals. And given that they are, why should I prefer the good for me over the good for you?
0: Um, It's all good. (laughs) Interesting question. So, uh, yeah, I think we do need to... I need to say more about this idea of the good. Um, so, one idea I had as you were setting that case up is where do we get the idea of the good? And maybe that can, if we explore that, that can help us at least part of the way to resolve this issue. And I think that our notion of the good ultimately comes from pleasure, our experience of pleasure. And that this is something we have in common with animals, um, maybe even lower organisms. Uh, it, it there's also pain, which is the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, nature... I mean, this is broadly
1: conceived, so you're going to count things like nausea as, as the bad as well. Not, yeah. Even though it's not painful as such. Right, um, right. It's got some negative valence right. to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so, phenomenal states. It's all going to ground in uh, kind of... Uh, Valence-loaded phenomenal states. Phenomenal yeah. States with
0: yeah, and I, I think um, we have the... Nature just builds into us these experiences. We're, we we have this pleasure-pain mechanism. And what we experience as good is good for us. So when I have that pleasure from eating the cake, hmm. it's it's my pleasure. It's not just pleasure right? the pleasure (laughs) and when I get cut by a knife it's my pain right and so it's it's kind of um, later we can sort of abstract away the issue of oh there's the beneficiary and then there's this the phenomena in the abstract yeah but our our initial notion of the good is the good for us that's how I think of it and to begin with to begin with. And I guess I, my way of thinking of it is I kind of, uh, just carry that forward in a more broad. I, I know, So with, um, when you're just a baby or a primitive organism, your only conception of the good is these immediate pleasurable experiences that you have. You're drinking your milk, uh, your, or your food or whatever. Um, And then as you mature, you become more long range and you realize, okay, going to the dentist causes me pain right now, Mm -hmm. but in the future, I'm going to have a lot more pain Mm -hmm. if I don't get this taken care of. So I can do what's overall, overall most pleasurable for me if I actually endure some short run run pain. And so I, I think of my I guess my own way of thinking about it which is not unique to me but is that we just take this primitive conception of good and over time we learn to expand it in a way that's best for ourselves overall that gives us the most pleasure overall which includes becoming more and more long range and so it, okay it's,
1: but you, if I can jump in there yeah. so, so one of the abstractions we do is we move away from immediate uh, rewards and punishments to thinking more long-term. and I think that's one one way to abstract away from my pleasure right now, my pain right now. Uh, But isn't there another dimension via which you can abstract which is you realize other people are in the same position that I'm in. They have pleasures and pains as well. And that sometimes my taking a particular pleasure is gonna cause pains to others and maybe it isn't worth it. So I'll I'll give you kind of a, a, a very uh, ordinary example, um, you know. I like driving down uh, the street in my uh, convertible with my super uh, boombox uh, speakers blaring away at the back, playing Five for Fighting, um, uh, Hundred Years, is that was called. Uh, you know, everybody gets to listen to it. Um, I love it. I'm having a great old time. Uh, I just feel great. What could be better? Uh, than driving down the street, playing my music this loud. It's like I've got my own personal nightclub that moves down the street. It's great. And then, you know, one day I realized, oh, wait, not everybody likes my music. Not everybody's in the mood for listening to music at that particular moment. Not everybody wants their cars to vibrate to uh, the strains of uh, Five for Fighting. Um, So it's kind of inconsiderate of me uh, to do that. And so now I've got an equation to balance. I have to ask myself: Well, is it worth it? Uh, I guess this is where I'm going to sound like a consequentialist. Um, am I doing enough good uh, for myself to outweigh the uh, the ways in which I'm detracting from uh, other people's sense of well-being? And I think isn't that a legitimate direction of abstraction? And I'm not necessarily. Um, this isn't necessarily about whether or not this is going to come back and bite me in the ass. This is not, I'm not looking after my own interests here. I'm not thinking, oh, well, these people might complain or, or they might try to uh, call the cops on me or something. That's not the issue here. Let's just assume that I'm confident they won't. I can get away with it. I'll never see these people again. But, but isn't there something ethical about just turning the music down in that, in that situation?
0: Yeah, my, my sense is there
1: is... Um. I, I, don't want, I want to keep in focus the, the, the deeper theoretical point here because you did something interesting. You said, um, we have this immediate acquaintance with pain and pleasure, but then we abstract to our futures and we, we, we do this kind of long-term calculation. Well, I, I'm suggesting that it's just as legitimate to abstract orthogonally to other people. Uh, and do and do that kind of calculation as well. Why? Why isn't that just as, as legit?
0: Well, I guess in in this case of the the boombox, uh, I would want to try to make a case that if you do this kind of abstraction from the immediate um, pleasure, uh, you would reasonably conclude that this is actually not in my own long range self-interest, and putting myself in that actual situation, I think I would feel guilty actually in that moment, because the long-run consequences to me are like they're I feel, I'm aware of them at that time so I don't think there would even be a temptation for me, so can I say more about like why it wouldn't why I don't think it would be in my interest Um, well I guess I mean I like to live in a a society where people are considerate and respectful of each other's space and i want to um i want to foster that benevolence kind of uh, society and i i feel like i would be i would be thwarting that goal
1: okay but okay so just to, to complicate this for you um so you're st- Are you saying you want to live in a society where uh, people look out for uh, other people's interests as well as their own?
0: Uh, Well, if that's kind of like meta
1: self interested, then you kind of—I have
0: an interest in living in a society where people aren't egoists. (laughs) Well, I don't—I don't know that it—it should be interpreted as people aren't egoists because I mean, if—if we—if we all have an interest in. In living with each other, um, I mean there there are certain others which it's not in our interest to live in live with, like homicidal maniacs, serial killers, and we lock those people up, right. <laughs> or at least I, as an egoist, would want to lock those people up. Right. But then there are other people, um, uh, homeless people on the street. Also, I'm not really benefiting from them. Um, not that I think they need to be locked up because they're not doing this kind of harm. that the killer is but there are certain people who are productive uh they create values and then i can trade i I can also myself produce values by working a job Mm -hmm. and then i can trade with other people instead of having to create everything on my own be a self-sustaining farmer Um, it's in my interest to live in a division of labor society right now i think part of that is when you get people together we need some way to uh to make human relationships predictable and in a way such that we do have people who want to come together into this society and take the bit be- and um, reap the benefits of it mm-hmm. and those benefits can only be reaped under certain conditions and if and if one of the rules of society I mean I think one of those conditions is that, you know, when you're in a public place, you have to uh, be respectful or considerate that other people might have different tastes in music. Um, so, if you want to have a successful society where you can reap these kind of division of labor benefits, among others, just friendships would be another. There are certain things you need to abide by, and you could you could flaunt and you know just ignore those for the and maybe not get thrown in jail but i guess it's something about like the the principle you're acting on is is um it's not consistent with there's some kind of tension between the kind of society you want and then the way you're acting uh if you play the radio uh, act in a way that you could will to become a
1: universal law is what you're saying (laughs) <laughs> to put it in Kantian terms, I, I don't know if I would want
0: to subscribe to that. But it's a little bit
1: like that. I mean, it's in, it's in the same, it's in the same neighborhood, isn't it? It's, uh, I, I want to act in a way that I want people in general in society to behave, right? So I'm not going to play my music loudly because I don't want everybody else. Because uh, if that were, if that were the rule that we can just play our music loudly whenever we wanted, that. Society would suck.
0: Then what objection would I have when the next when he's doing it? Right, right. right. I would have no grounds right. to that.
1: Right, But you sound like a Kantian. Um,
0: but but I'm but I'm anchoring it to what's good for me because it, so in that sense I'm not a Kantian. I'm not saying it's good regardless of right. the consequences.
1: Right. Okay. But but let's get back to the the quasi paradoxical um, question that I asked you. So, are you telling me that uh, as an egoist you have an interest uh, in living in a society that it, where people aren't egoists.
0: That's not what I'm saying, or at least not what I intend to be saying.
1: Right. So, because it, it I mean, it sounds a little bit like, well, I don't want to live in a society, I have an interest in not living in a society where um, everybody just looks after their own interests without regard. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking this through. I suppose what you, what, you, what you really want to do here is you want to say, well, no, I want to live in a society where everybody has the same attitude as me. So they they act only in their own interests and they all appreciate that acting in their own interests means um, not creating a society where everybody goes around playing their boombox all the time. So...
0: Yeah, I, I would like to live in a society where people have this kind of large broad understanding of self-interest not just tunnel vision mm-hmm. short-range mm. kind of satisfaction
1: right right so uh, one of the things that you said by the way was um you used the word guilt in somewhere in in your last answer uh and it kind of just uh,
0: i don't remember using it what yeah you it? said i
1: feel guilty uh sometimes when um i can't remember what the, what the, what the context was now but uh you can rewind the clip. Uh,
0: oh, if I were playing the boombox, I think I would feel... Yeah, yeah I would feel I'd guilty go, right go, there and then. That's Because what of the consequences. Yeah, I,
1: So guilt is an interesting question because I, I also think of guilt as being something that occurs when I do wrong by others. So let's go back to the the seven deadly sins again, you know. If I'm being slothful, um, I might feel a little bit... I, I guess you could call it guilty. Um... If I'm being gluttonous, maybe a little bit, but uh, usually usually, if I can frame it as just, well, the only person harmed was myself. I can usually, usually kind of wriggle out of the feelings of guilt, you know, I don't, you know, I only harmed me, ah, I let me off, uh, it's fine Bernard, oh, okay, thanks Bernard. Um, you know, I, I, I seem to be able to uh, escape these feelings of guilt more easily than if I've wronged someone else. Um, so, I mean, can you say something about that? Because if all ethics reduces to violation of your own self-interest, then uh, I guess I struggle to, to to see why there would be a difference between my levels of guilt when I when I wrong someone else versus when I wrong
0: myself. Uh, so, I mean, maybe there shouldn't be. Uh, maybe it should be reversed. Actually, I was thinking like. When you were saying, oh, it's only myself, I was thinking, that's the most important person. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is your life. I mean, don't you want to make, I, I want to make my life the best that it can be. I I've, I think I have one life to live um, and I want to maximize the happiness I achieve. Right,
1: but, but, but you're giving me a theoretical response, right? So, I know what your theory says, but... And I don't know whether, whether it's different for you. Maybe it is different for, for you. And maybe this is, be, maybe my attitudes are a reflection of some kind of a deeply held quasi-theory that I that I have. That I'm kind of only dimly aware of. But I feel more guilt when I let someone else down than when I let myself down. Um, and you can say, well, you're the most important person, so you shouldn't feel more guilt. Oh, okay, maybe. But I do. Now, what explains that? Is it? Am I doing something wrong, uh, or are you doing something wrong? You're not explaining the way our um, ethical instincts really work.
0: So, uh, a couple thoughts here. Um, one is, I do feel guilt when I do wrong by myself, by my own standards. So, if I, you know, f- fail to um, adhere to a diet, a diet mm-hmm. or an exercise regime uh, I'm on or if I don't study for a test or write a paper on time um, and I think afterward oh, I could have done better I I do feel guilty Um, and now do I feel more guilty if if I do wrong to somebody else maybe it depends on the wrong I think what exactly is the severity of the wrong I do to them? Did I, you know, did I steal a dollar from them? Mm-hmm. Was I a little bit rude to them? Did I steal $10,000? Um, so I think, you know, the the level of guilt is going to vary. But in any case, I think the guilt that I do feel is going to be because, is going to be because I feel like I did not live up to being the kind of person that I expect myself to be. So I fail to Live up to my own standards, and somebody else played a role mm-hmm. in this whole guilt episode. Mm-hmm. But it all redounds back to me. It's because I didn't, I, I failed to achieve living as the kind of person that I expect myself to be. So I failed myself basically. Right. It's not that I did harm to them, although I did har- do harm to them. But I feel really bad yeah. in doing that because I don't want to. So be let, me,
1: that let me throw in a case here. So I, I this is, I think this is going to relate to this. I hope it's not just going to be a completely different. Uh, Uh, idea but so uh one one day you're walking down the street and um you hear a a yell from uh, a house and you the front door is ajar so you you kind of push it hello hello is are you okay and uh i've had an accident and you go in and you see an old person uh maybe uh maybe an old man and um He's fallen over, and he's uh, cut himself badly, he's bleeding out, and you realize uh, there's nothing you can do. He's going to die. Uh, uh, so you call the ambulance, but there's really nothing you can do. I mean, you, you, you can try your best. And then you notice there's a, a stack of $10 bills uh, just on, on the, the table. Maybe he was getting ready to pay some bills or something. And... Um, you realize you could, you could just pocket those and uh, well, he doesn't need them and you know might as well be you as, as anyone else uh, has that money um, what would you do and would you feel bad about it
0: so uh, inheritance is comes to mind I mean um, so it's it's possible, very possible that this guy has a will mm-hmm. and that's once he goes uh, there's someone that he would like his property to go to and I guess that would be my my base assumption, my default assumption and going back to the point about what kind of society do I want to live in well in this case do I want to live in a society where people just you know grab Know, some immediate.
1: Well, the difference with this case and the boombox case is the boombox case is kind of a common scenario. I mean, if if we if we lived in a society where people just played music as loud as they wanted, then it would, it would probably be happening all the time. Um, but this is a this is a very unusual situation. Uh, you can live in a society where people swipe the money from um, from your table as you're dying, and I'm not sure. You, well, I mean, it's a good question for the egoist. I mean. Even if you did live in, even if it was common, uh, why would that be bad for you? And so that's A and B. I don't think it's co- it's going to be common, so I don't think you need to worry about the the society-wide effects anyway. So I don't think you're going to get bitten back in the way that you're worried about. So let's take both scenarios. Number one, let's suppose by curious coincidence, um, many years later, you fall over, yell, your door's ajar, somebody comes in, you left a, a stack of tenors on the table. And they take it. Did that harm your interests?
0: <clears throat> well, I guess after I'm gone, uh, I wouldn't have any interest to be harmed. Right, so... So maybe no is the answer to that. But I think the person... I I would still want to make the case that the person who did swipe it, yeah, it harms that person's interests. Okay, why? Um, I guess my thought is... Uh, the person... Uh, what's to stop him from doing similar kinds of things well it's
1: opportunistic that's kind of part of the case yeah so it's not going to happen very often well that's i'm not sure even if it did happen a lot what's the harm i mean this person's swiping money from people who are dying Um, so um i i see an ethical issue here i mean yeah of course this is why i'm raising the case but i'm wondering how you account for this theoretically so i'm going to argue as if I'm the, a stone-cold egoist, wondering why you're such a warm and fuzzy egoist. Um, so what, what is the harm in, in...
0: Well, maybe the part of the reason you end up stone-cold is because uh, you're doing these these kinds of things. If you have this... Um, I mean, I think you might actually do damage to your psychology and your, your, your benevolence mm. outlook on life by engaging in these short-range kinds of acts and I think that's that would that's part of my answer as to why these are bad for you Um, your act unprincipled is another term that comes to mind here Um, there are so many situations like okay let's say so
1: so can I just jump in here cuz so now trying to get a better understanding of the egoism that you defend it seems like this seems to be less a theory of the good per se, in some kind of abstract, logical, universal sense, a more um, a view about what's good for humans, given that uh, when the going gets tough, you you import assumptions about human psychology. So in this case, you're saying, look, it's going to be corrupting uh, to a human being to behave like that. Let's imagine an alien, right? So imagine there are aliens that don't have the same psychology that we have. These aliens, let's imagine, they have... um, it doesn 't corrupt them to do these little just uh, to, to swipe money off the the table of, of the the dying conspecifics um, doesn 't corrupt them they have more resistance to this kind of this corruption that you 're worried about it just doesn 't happen with them then it wouldn 't be a problem for them to do it
0: yeah I, I guess if you if you stipulate that the alien doesn 't suffer this kind of psychological damage from acting in these short-range ways, then offhand, I don't see that there would be grounds.
1: Okay. So you could also imagine perhaps um, some kind of personality disorder that a human could have where it doesn't bother them either. So kind of like an antisocial personality disorder. uh, Maybe some variant of that or some kind of partial variant of that where, you know, know, for the most part, uh, this person's like, I mean, you, but just when it comes to things like that, uh, he's not going to miss it, says this person to themselves, the, the dying man's not going to miss the money, I'll take it. And when they and, and, and it just doesn't bother them at all, it doesn't corrupt them at all, it doesn't make them any worse. You say in that case, well, I, I, here's a good distinction. You, you say it's not only permissible, but I think you might even say it's morally obligatory for them to swipe the money.
0: Yeah, offhand, I think if you if we're stipulating that this person has a personality disorder, um, where they don't suffer these kinds of consequences I've been describing, then yeah, I think it might be the right thing for that person to swipe the money.
1: So, so now we move to the case of the sociopath. Yeah, uh, and I don't. I mean, I'm, I the DSM uh, criteria. I, I believe they took sociopath out, and I'm not sure. I think it was, it's been replaced with antisocial personality disorder, and and so on. But if I'm if I'm speaking about a purely theoretical condition here, that's um, no longer regarded as uh, part of proper psychology, then okay, fine, doesn't matter. The point is that you can imagine people who struggle to empathise with other people, struggle. Uh, I think in in the in the terms of your theory, other people's welfare. Now that might not be the normal state of human beings, but. Um that seems to be the case uh, with with these people, I'm stipulating. They just don't have an interest in other people's welfare. Um, then we're going to get an awful lot of situations with those people where <laughs> things that we would ordinarily regard as unethical are not only
0: permissible but obligatory, in according to your theory. Yeah, and so, I mean, the, the ethics I'm proposing, so we might want to I mean, the term that's coming to mind is morality for psychopaths. Yeah, <laughs> that might look much different than morality for normal human beings. Hmm. And when I when I say I I favor an egoist kind of view, I'm talking about assuming normal human beings. I mean, there. Are, I think. So, yeah, things might look different if we're talking about exceptional cases. It's. Um, it's it's good for humans to eat, you know, maybe uh, a f- couple pounds, two three pounds of food a day. But if you're a whale, <laughs> then that's not going to cut it. You're mm-hmm. going to starve. You need to eat a lot more. Well, likewise, with the psychopath, you, you have a different nature. Right. So what's good for you is going to look different given your different nature. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm not the whale case is is a good one and 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 so you you might think uh, you know I I'm fond of talking about black widows Uh, I I I love spiders to begin with and but you know the male black widow uh, uh, mates and and is then eaten by the female black widow and according to some uh, observers the male launches itself onto the fangs of the female Uh, now okay you might think Ethics for black widows is very very different Uh, this kind of uh, you know murdering your uh, your mate uh, is is much more okay for black widows now of course they're animals they're behaving as instinct instinctively but you know imagine an evolved black widow that is uh, that is smart and starts to develop its own ethics Then it might start saying well murder is wrong not if it's after (laughs) the act of copulation and the female is Is murdering the male in order to provide nutrients for her young that's that's the way it's always been done and it's a good thing Um, now if so I I can appreciate to a certain extent okay maybe ethics is going to be uh, relative to the nature of the individuals in question certainly at a a special level but I'm I I guess I have a tougher time thinking of psychopaths as being the, the right type uh, of it's one thing to break it down by species but to, to, to break it down within human society by saying well okay that person is a psychopath so uh, you know what Hannibal Lecter did um, isn't just permissible given that he's a psychopath it was a uh, morally obligatory uh, we should we should be celebrating him such a good person relative to his own um, relative to the ethics defined for him that seems that seems like a a hard bullet to bite
0: i don't know that it's like i mean i think it would be it would be uh great if we or progress if if we could just just agree on ethics for normal people because i think just that is controversial enough um not to you know say we, we don't need to discuss this any further. Well, yeah, you can definitely say bad cases make for bad theories. So you, you should you should
1: try to. You're a scientist. You wanna you wanna create a, a theory that uh, works for the, the normal cases, and then um, the aberrant cases should be treated as exceptions. You don't want to make you want to build the laws around that.
0: Yeah, like a life. Ayn Rand talks about lifeboat cases. Um, there's a she has an article called the ethics of emergencies, and things might look a lot different in such cases, like normally uh, we shouldn't kill each other. Mm. But if you're on a lifeboat that can only hold one person and there's two people on it, uh, it would be permissible uh, in that case to kill the other person. But we don't live on lifeboats. Right. <laughs> At least most of the time. So there… are don't you feel bad? Uh, possibly, very possibly. I, why? Assuming the person is innocent. Yeah, well, I but mean, you did—you
1: did what was the moral good.
0: Right? I, I might even uh, choose to kill myself if I'm in that situation. If the other person is my wife, I suppose, if it's someone I. I because because you have it's it's more in your interests to. Save yeah, your wife? because I might be so depressed living without her mm-hmm. that I'd rather just die, I than go on without her. Right. Um, but you
1: feel bad if it was just a random innocent.
0: Yeah, if it was just a random innocence, and it was either my life or that person's... Why would you feel bad? I I guess this this goes back to the the benevolence that I like to experience uh, in relationships with other people. But you want to live in a society, surely, where people do uh, kill people to save themselves in lifeboats. You're not going to be able to use the variant of that response here. Well, in... in a way, this is kind of a non-societal scenario. I mean, society is like we are right now, where you know we have a, this long-run existence. We're not in this immediate situation where one of us is about to expire. No, but part of moment. part of what it is, is to live in society is to
1: um, internalize a set of values that does include how you should behave in emergency situations, right? And so you know, we have we have kind of rules about or if somebody falls over uh, you know call an ambulance um, maybe give them CPR if somebody knows how to do that Uh, ask if there's a doctor in the house you know we know what to do in emergency situations and and so do you want to live in a society where the rule in emergency situations is if the lifeboat can't hold two murder the other person well I think you do want to live in that society because that's what you've been endorsing so when you then do that given that it's in accord not only with your personal values, but
0: also in accord with the society that you want to live in. Why did you feel bad? I just want to make a comment on, so my view is not that if you're in this lifeboat situation, you should kill the other person. I think it's very contextual. It would depends. I don't know what I would do if it was just an innocent person who was there with me. I, I might feel so sickened by the act of having to kill the other person to save myself, it might haunt me for the rest of my life as just this really disgusting thing to do. Um, that's, I, I would rather not go on. So right. that's not right. the rule. But whatever I see is being in my long-term self-interest. So, it's the psych- so this
1: comes back to the psychology thing. Um, you having the, the particular compassionate psychology that you have means that, so egoism works well maybe uh, in, in capturing the intuitions, when we couple it with the assumption that human beings... Uh...
0: Due to technical difficulties, a small amount of audio was lost at this point. After fixing the problem, we picked up a thread from earlier in the conversation. All right, so we are, we are back with part two, having adjusted our recording equipment, and now uh, Bernard was saying something. Oh, he was asking about, uh, we learn, suppose it's true that we learn about uh, the good and bad from these pleasure and pain uh, experiences we have, but should, does that suffice to ground uh, the idea? Yeah, so you said
1: uh, you know our first experiences of the good and the bad is our own pains and pleasures, but then uh, We're able to abstract from that. So we're able to, to Realize that well, there's more that's good and bad in the world than just what's immediately good and bad um, And so we project into the future and I am suggesting all of this Suggests that uh, an epistemic view. This is a view about how we learn about uh, What's good and what's bad? but when we realize that other people have pains and pleasures too then we realize that the good and the bad is not something that is uh, that happens uh, exists just within us as it's not something that just exists within me I realize that it, it exists within everyone and that it, it applies over over everyone and that insight I think is is where we get this other directed notion of ethics um, now I, so my, my question is this, why why would I think that it's more than that? Why would I think that I have a special um, obligation to myself uh, rather than I have a special obligation just to minimize these things that I've discovered in myself, pains, uh, and I have a special obligation to maximize these things I've discovered in myself, pleasures and feelings of joy. Uh, but why should I think that I, my special obligation is just to maximize them and minimize them in myself? Well, that's why I discovered them. But yeah. that's. But I know they're elsewhere as well, so shouldn't I just maximize and minimize them across the board?
0: So I guess the... Um, why, why care about it if it's not uh, in yourself? And I think if, if we consider this kind of idea of... There's this gradation of things you care about the most, like there's, there's yourself and there's your, your, your spouse, your family, your relatives, your friends, someone in the next neighborhood, someone in the next country, someone on Mars (laughs) or in the next galaxy. Um, I think as it's getting closer to yourself, you do tend to care more about, well, there's a question of what you do care about more than whether you should care about it more. And I guess um, I'm of the thought that there's just, there's something, I don't know if intrinsic is the right word, but it's, it's just kind of like the burden is on the person who wants to say why you shouldn't care about it. I don't have to do a big song and dance to say why I should care about my pleasure. It's just great. I mean, I, I experience well, it. I, and let I me,
1: let me meet the burden,
0: Okay, because
1: they're the same because my pains and your pains are the same,
0: but not for me. Right. I experienced my pains in a lot different than the way I experienced your pains. Yeah. Uh, so one but of me, them...
1: but me and you are the same. I mean, in some sense, all you told but... me, all you told me is that your pains are, uh, are different relative to X. I mean, let's like, just take me and you out of it. X's pains are different relative to X. Y's pains are different relative to Y. Uh, sure but X and Y are not importantly different they're they're both human beings Uh, so why should one of those pains be more valuable than the other
0: Um, I mean I I don't I don't see what the issue is if we're factoring in the agents experience like I, I experience Say I'm I'm eating food right now and that gives me a sensation of pleasure and say simultaneously uh, You know some guy over there who I don't know at all is also eating food and also getting pleasure Um, Why should I care about my pleasure more than his I? mean I don't know um, here I want to say it again cuz it's mine. I I his his having the pleasure doesn't do me any good and I like things that do me good. Yeah, but I don't know if I can say more. I feel like I'm a, But his having the pleasure does him good. Okay, so it's good for him to eat for yeah, him, yeah, but exactly. not for me. So why should
1: you do what's good for this person over here rather than for that person over there?
0: Uh I don't know. That like that that needs an answer i mean part of me is thinking like well it's just obvious um why why i should want to do something that's good for me or that gives me pleasure Um, there's like some something intrinsically appealing or attractive about having this experience which I don't get when he has that experience Mm -hmm. so uh, given that I I like having this experience and that I don't like that but but it seems like
1: like we're just kind of going we're turning around on on a treadmill because well given that you like having that experience and you don't like him having that experience quite so much yeah but given that he likes having that experience he doesn't like you having it quite so much. We're not breaking the symmetry here, you're appealing to the thing that
0: I, that I would like explained. I'm not sure what to say. Hmm. I I don't, I don't know if, I, I think maybe you're, you're, you're looking for an explanation of something that doesn't require explanation. I mean, there is, there is the idea, whether it applies in this case or not, we, that's another question of Explanations have to stop somewhere, yeah. there's not just infinite regress. Right. And I, I think this might be a case where you don't need an explanation as to why you should prefer your own pleasure or satisfaction or happiness rather than someone else's. Maybe it's just immediately obvious, nothing more needs to be said, but maybe that's wrong or maybe you think that's wrong. and we could explore whether that's the case, whether it actually is wrong, or is this a case where more actually needs to be said? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, does it seem unsatisfying to just say, like, there is no explanation needed in this case?
1: A little bit, because there's, I think, uh, one of, you know, one of these ethical lessons you, you pick up as a kid is, um, well, it's learning that you're not special, right? Uh, yeah, well, every kid is special, but you know what I mean. Learning that uh, you know you're not you're not the center of the universe. That's the, the, the admonition you might hear from your parents, right? Um, there are other people here as well, and this seems to be an ethical advance that children make as part of their uh, ethical development. They realize that. Uh, they're not special and they should, they should take other people's pains and pleasures into account rather than uh, always attending to their own. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm uh, bringing that intuition into the discussion uh, and I'm asking, okay, well in that case, why shouldn't I just count every pain and every pleasure equally because they are equal, right? Each one is the same. Why should I give special regard to some people's pains over other people's pains? And your answer is well, because they're yours, yeah. uh, or the the, the the pains of your immediate loved ones, um, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, imagine imagine that you had a, a, a very we came across a strange uh, group of beings, right? So Martians, and uh, Martians also privilege a certain group of people's pains, uh, they um, and pleasures. They privileged the pains and pleasures of people uh, born exactly uh, 30 miles away from where they were born. Right? Well, that would seem very strange and arbitrary. Why that group? Uh, well, I guess I'm asking you the same question because they they, could, they return the question to you. Well, you just privileged the pains and pleasures of people born zero miles away from you. Uh, why that group?
0: Uh short answer because the people zero miles away from me are are me and I'm the one who but uh, let let me let me go back to to your point about um, this this uh, this idea that you're not the center of the universe Mm. I think you are the center of the universe thank you Dan (laughs) you're the center of your universe oh I see and I'm the center of my universe I I thought I thought you were just kissing your advisor's butt (laughs) Uh, but I think what, which connects, this, this connects to an earlier point we are discussing is if you realize or if you see other people as part of that universe, then growing up ethically doesn't mean no longer seeing yourself as the center of the universe but rather it understand it, it consists in seeing how other people contribute to your universe. Mm-hmm. So I actually think it's it maybe a tragic mistake for people to give up this idea that you are the center of the universe and you are important. Um, that seems kind of sad to me. I, I think there's, maybe it's a false alternative to think either you think you're the center of the universe and you don't give a damn about others or You don't think you're the center of the universe and you subordinate your interests to others. I think those are, are false alternatives. I think you could continue to see yourself as the center of the universe or your universe, but you could simultaneously, as part of your maturation process, understand how other people can be a great benefit to you and you can find a way to harmoniously integrate those people into your universe and have a benevolent, lovely, warm, friendly society to live in. So, I think maybe this is a way of trying to satisfy this sort of ethical intuition you have about um, you're not the center of the universe and kind of rejig that in a way that's compatible with an egoist view. Mm. And I guess once you do that, maybe um, it doesn't sound, or maybe at least sounds different to say, um, I should prefer my pleasure over this other guy's. Because how that looks in practice, when you actually factor in this enlarged, mature, View of self-interest could be very different than you expect. Like, for instance, on a lifeboat, in that case, if I if the other person is my spouse, what my enlarged, mature sense of self-interest looks like in that case might consist of me actually going down myself and letting her survive. Mm. So, I don't think we should leap to the conclusion that because you are the center of your universe or the universe. Um, that's obviously going to mean you don't give a damn about that guy's pleasure or other people. Um, it could, it could turn out to in surprising ways.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, maybe I'll ask one, one last question and then then we'll wrap this up. So, um, I, uh, this idea of grounding ethics in uh, pleasures and pains and sensory experiences, uh, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, um, doesn't completely ring true to me because it seems like there are <laughs> classes of acts that I think of as ethical that are as it were, um, they, 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 don't, they, don't, they don't harm anybody, um, but I think of them as unethical. They don't cause any, at least they don't harm anybody in the sense that you're talking about they don't uh, cause the co- disruption of anybody's conscious state uh, you don't cause them conscious pains or, or anything like that so like what like for example um well i can think of several uh so here's number one uh slandering the reputation of a dead person um now you're oh, well, you, you, you might be upsetting the family yeah okay let's assume that they have no family or maybe they're long dead and they're they're, everybody you ever knew them is is dead as well Uh, and yet it seems unethical to slander a person's memory uh, even if it's in your own your own interest to do so Uh, obviously it's not gonna harm them Um, or at least it's not gonna harm them in the sense that you're talking about it's not gonna it does harm to the reputation you might think that's a kind of harm to them but it's not um, doing harm to their uh, to their mental state. It's not causing them pains. Um, another case is uh, uh, benevolent violations of someone's autonomy. So, you know, suppose I I go up to somebody and uh, I cure them of a disease, uh, or I cure them of a um, uh, I say cure. Uh, you know, let's suppose that somebody. Uh, well, okay, I, I got a good one. I'll just talk about myself. So, uh, I have a learning disability. Uh, suppose that you've been granted some kind of Christ-like power to heal the sick. You say, "Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll help burn it out, and you get rid of my learning disability." I, you did me good, but uh, you might have done something. <laughs> At least you, uh, maybe you kind of. Uh, you did me good in a certain sense, right? You got, you got rid of this disability, but you didn't, con- you didn't seek my consent first. And I'm, and I'm sure, that I have an instinct that that's, that that's immoral. Even if I never find out that you did that to me, um, I just find that things go differently from, from then on. Or maybe may a, a slightly different example is, you know, uh, going around, uh, you know, just with a button that, that gives people feelings of, of, of happiness and pleasure, right? and you're just kind of walking around in the park and you just give somebody a kind of rush of pleasure, right? Without their consent. Well, you, In this kind of basic model of, uh, of what's good and what's bad, you've done them good. But I don't think it's ethical to do that. I don't think it's uh, ethical to just intrude on somebody's life, even if it's to, even if it's to give them pleasure, um, without seeking their permission first.
0: So first of all, uh... I want to say that I don't think it's it's just the, the immediate sensory we might call it physical pleasure sensation that matters here. Uh, happiness, I think, is also relevant. Uh, if that's like eating food might be a good example of just a physical sensory kind of pleasure, mm-hmm. but then just consider like say you um, you work really hard on a project and then. You get a reward at work. You're given a raise as a result. Yeah, that might right. give you um, tremendous satisfaction, right. but it's of a more psychological kind. Right. So I think that that needs to be factored in here. And sure. So if you just okay. Go so around I've, I've got a I've got a, a, a machine
1: that goes around and puts people in a good mood for the rest of the day. Right. So I just press the button and and their mood picks up. But I don't ask them whether they want me to do that to them or not. Yeah. I feel that there are ethical concerns there. I think overriding somebody's psychological state without their consent, even if you're well-meaning, um, I, I sense that there's 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 an ethical problem there. I
0: think there might be. Yeah, I have. I think
1: these are inst- These are intuitions that I think you're going to share because you know I think you've got strong um, intuitions about aut- the autonomy of the individual. So, um, yeah. Yeah,
0: and. In- but I, I would also try to tie it to self-interest somehow and say that, um, well, I'm not sure that you, you would be doing what's best overall, well, A, for the person you're giving this jolt of um, happiness to, and B, for yourself to be acting in this kind of way, um, going around doing things that, are not that you don't have other people's consent to do yet that are nevertheless affecting them I'm not sure why that... I feel
1: great about myself right because you know I haven't considered this angle of uh, the fact that I haven't asked for their consent I've just gone around and you know I, I feel fantastic I go around and I I point my little, little zapper at people and I put them in a good mood for the rest of the day and I feel good I feel like I've, I've, I'm a good person I spent my day putting Making people feel happy. Uh, so I, I pat myself on the back um, So have I done anything unethical in that case? it seems like I have I Mean, you know, I'm not you know, maybe I'm not the worst person in the world uh, It's not like I went around putting people in bad moods, but um, nevertheless I did something wrong didn't I I did I I just I, I assumed I, I presumed I had the right to just interfere with people's lives and uh, put them in a better mood.
0: Yeah, I haven't thought this one through much, so I, I don't know that I have a well worked out answer. So just thinking off the top of my head, um, I, I, I think it might be, even if it is an issue of putting people in bad mood, uh, in good moods, without their consent I think that might be an unethical thing to do but then I guess why would that be well one thought I had is that's perhaps their bad mood that they were in assuming they were in a bad mood and not just a neutral kind of um, maybe uh, it was because they did something bad which put them in a bad mood and it's it's useful them to know that look if i act in this kind of way i'm not going to feel good about it uh as a as a means of deterring them from doing that kind of thing in the future whereas if you put them in a good mood i guess they're not going to get that kind of signal and so that might encourage them to indulge in that behavior more, which had put them in a bad mood. No, it's
1: changed the case and just assume that they're in a bad mood because there's a chemical imbalance. They've got low serotonin uh, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now they're in a bad mood. I, I, I come over, I effectively administer some electromagnetic uh, antidepressants, uh, you know, elevates the levels of serotonin in their brain. They feel better. But I didn't ask them mm-hmm. see that's that's the issue here it's not that I'm failing to I, I'm disrupting the the feedback cycle that is telling them that they've done something bad today no 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 no. that's not what's bothering me about this what's bothering me about this is that I I overrode their autonomy as individuals I um, I inserted myself in this you know self-appointed role as their mood saviour and uh, I had no right to do that
0: I don't know about the this autonomy point for one thing like whether I mean ch- children come to mind I yeah. mean they might want to do something but I think it's appropriate for adults to override their autonomy yeah I agree and so let's stick, let's stick to adults so if, okay but so if we stick to adults Um... Here's another reason why maybe it wouldn't be good if it's, if it's just like a chemical imbalance. Um, well, side thought, if you do this, I think it would be good to tell them you did it afterwards. I guess that ties into the point I wanted to make anyways, which is, um, if I guess if they know they have this chemical imbalance and then they they just to their mind causelessly stop feeling the bad mood maybe they'll not seek treatment. Whereas if they can continued Then let's, let's make it permanent. Okay. So you, you hit the button and then it permanently
1: puts them in a good well, it, mood. It permanently removes the chemical imbalance that uh, was uh, causing them to uh, have bad moods. Or worse moods than they otherwise would have had. So they get on, they kind of raised their, their curve so that it's now in sync with uh, uh, what they would have had had they not had low Serotonin.
0: Uh-huh. Let's see, I, I guess if, so if that's, if that's the case, is there a reason not to, I, I don't, my immediate thought is I don't, I don't see a reason not to do it in that case although
1: I think I I mean I, I can see good reasons to do it yeah. right um, good as it were pro tanto reasons so I, I'm not saying that the case is made but on the one hand you are making somebody happier um, maybe I can imagine cases where somebody is resisting treatment because their their condition is causing them to resist treatment so we can imagine maybe somebody who's uh, schizophrenic uh, and we've got a cure for schizophrenia, but they won't allow us to apply it because, in their delusional state, they think that we're we're going to do something horrible to them. That you know we're uh, uh, we some intelligence agency that's that's looking to uh, put radio transmitters in their brain or something. They've, they've got a del- uh, some complex delusion. They don't want us to give them the treatment. And then, in cases like that, you could you could possibly envisage that there's a justification for overriding their autonomy. But, I'm just talking to somebody who's like mildly depressed, uh, has a slight problem with low moods, uh, because of uh, um, a relatively low level of serotonin or some other neurotransmitter in their brain. Um, And you just choose to, without asking them, you just choose to uh, up their serotonin levels permanently. I mean, one of the problems here, I don't want I, I want to be careful here because one of the problems is they might I they might identify with themselves as somebody who just has a loan with, right I'm just a grumpy person they might say right it's who I am and so you're changing their personality without their consent and that seems like a big no-no um, but even independently of that uh, just the very act of well let's be honest uh, performing a medical procedure on somebody uh, it's not a very invasive or intrusive medical procedure but it is a medical procedure on someone without their consent it just seems um, it just seems
0: like a bad thing to do it seems like unethical or at least there are big ethical concerns this is reminding me of Nozick's experience machine yeah um, so for the audience if that, this is an idea where uh, philosopher Robert Nozick had where you could plug someone into this machine and they could have whatever experiences they desired to have. Would you do it? Um, would you plug into the machine and have these experiences, um, like the experience of, I don't know, whatever you want, writing a Beethoven quality symphony or Mozart or and getting all these accolades or being super wealthy or whatever. So it would be fake in a sense. Um, you're not really uh, writing this great symphony, but it, it feels like you did that in um, the machine. Would you do that? And I guess a lot of people say no to this. That's their intuition because there's something unsatisfying about it. And it, it's Well, there's, yeah, there's a related thought
1: to it. I mean, coming back to the... Well, we're still in the topic of whether or not uh, the good and the bad reduces to the phenomenology of the good and the bad, how it feels. Uh, Uh, To be in pain or to have a pleasure Um, So yeah, I think there's an interesting case with Nozick's thought experiment a lot of people report that they wouldn't go for the phenomenologically happier life the experientially happier life if it was inauthentic Um, But I I think I'm pressing a slightly different angle here because I'm I'm saying also I I don't think it's necessarily always good to uh, thrust a phenomenologically good life upon somebody uh, without their consent. It seems like consent seems to be an aspect of ethics that's independent from
0: phenomenology. Yeah, what I was thinking was that your scenario is like uh, Nozick's, but without consent. Because in in Nozick's case, you get to choose to go into this experience. But in yours, it's like you're putting that person
1: into the mix. So I think mine's objectionable, even if it's what they would have chosen right so even if the person had you asked them would have said yes please do that yeah I
0: still think you did wrong because you did it without asking them so I was wondering like why not either before or after I guess better would be before is just ask the person hey I've got this device yeah and I can I can change your mood I agree that's the better thing to do
1: okay so so now the question is but how and just allow them to make their choice right so how is this a, how does this reduce to the phenomenology of I suppose the first question is why does that give it a given a view of ethics that reduces the good to you know pains and pleasures and, and phenomenological fields how do you account for this uh, the goodness of asking first and I guess my second question is how do you also account for the fact that I think that when you just put somebody in a slightly elevated mood without their consent you did a bad thing net even though you did you only created good in terms of phenomenological fields and I think by the way I think this is independent from your egoism I think you can be an egoist and and think you know each person should act according to their own best interests without also having a view of interests which reduces them to phenomenal fields I think those are two separate parts of your view.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so one question here is, um, uh, but by the way, I'm just, cause my, I'm thinking about it. The, uh, I'm not sure about the, what I would do in the nose case, even though most, I guess most people say they wouldn't want to go in. I'm not sure how that is rationally, whether that can be rationally justified, like I, I have this fear that it wouldn't actually turn out the way I think it's going to turn out, and that would be my resistance. But if we can just stipulate that you could go in there and have this amazing experience, um, like happiness, um, the, the greatest, well, I, yeah. Okay. Then I I can't think off the top of my head that I have good grounds to choose not to go in there, right even though it's in some sense fake. So yeah. I might be an outlier in this way. In terms of my choice on the experience machine, I, I just have this fear that you know, I'm going to get stuck. Well, I
1: think there might be an internal tension here. If you if you think of everything, all the good and the bad is reduced into phenomenological fields. Um, but if I have an interest in my wife's welfare, right? Then your egoism tells tells me that I should uh, serve that interest. It's ethical to do so. Um, if, but if. I mean the experience machine the only thing that I am serving are I'm creating impressions that my wife's welfare has been uh, served I'm not yeah. I'm not actually serving my wife I'm so I'm not actually serving my interest in my wife's welfare uh, I'm, I'm lying to myself making I'm I'm dreaming I'm dreaming that things are going well but I'm not making <laughs> things go well I'm dreaming that I'm serving my own interests I'm not serving my own interests I think that's that would be my instinctive line of response for that, to, to those kinds of um, experiments. If I were an egoist, and but I, but but I am concerned that if I were, that if I were also this phenomenal, if I also bought into your phenomenalism, then I I, I might struggle to make sense of that. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, uh, so your idea is that the egoist would say he's he's not actually serving his interests by going into the machine?
1: So I think an egoist,
0: maybe not you,
1: but an egoist can say, oh, uh, it makes sense to turn down the invitation to step into Nozick's machine, because then you would have a life where you dreamed you were serving your own interests, but you weren't actually serving your own interests. Case in point, uh, you have an interest in the welfare of your children, Uh, you're not serving that interest anymore you're in a machine uh, just dreaming all the time so you're not serving that interest it's still your interest but you're not serving it Uh, you think you are and you're dreaming that you are and the machine is telling you that you are but you're not you're not actually serving those interests that's why it's rational uh, and ethical uh, not to enter into that machine to decline the invitation so an egoist could say that could you say it I'm not sure because if you reduce Depending depending on exactly how you tell your story about reducing all goods to uh, fields, phenomenal fields, experiential fields, conscious fields, um, you might say, oh, all there is to serving your children's interests is creating impressions in your own sphere that your children's interests are served. If you find a way of shortcutting that circuit, so you can create those impressions uh, without doing the hard work of actually. Uh, serving your children's interests all the better for serving your interests um, I would be reluctant to combine of that kind of mad dog phenomenalism with your egoism uh, for exactly that reason I think I think in cases like that it's getting
0: strongly counterintuitive results but. so this is I mean this is something I've not thought of much but I guess I I don't see a good reason Maybe I, I am that outlier egoist who, who, who doesn't see a good reason to not go in the machine and just have the, the illusion that you're taking care of your child's interests and your own interests. But I, I mean, I don't know that that's really a, a problem for me since it is, well, since it seems like a very unrealistic kind of situation. Given things as they are, uh, assuming I'm not in this machine, I'm going to be doing taking care of my child if I had one. Um, So, I mean, you. I guess you can always. uh, You can you can stipulate any kind of bizarre. Case like imagine that by pressing this button, you can feel this awesome experience of happiness, and that pressing that button is also going to kill everybody else on the planet. So you're going to be the last guy left. Um, yet you're going to have this amazing happiness uh, that you can never experience in any other way. Would you do it? OK, yeah, I, I guess I got to say yes. Fine, you got me there. But part of me is like, who cares? Well, oh, because the case is so, it's so... It, contrived and, and
1: yes, weird.
0: But, you can paint the but, egoist me, into this corner yeah, yeah. that he's never going to have to. Well, I, like I
1: said, I don't think this is painting the egoist into a corner. I think this is yeah. I'm so it's, it's com- like it's a corner doesn't matter And, fear, or and the phenomenalism—it's the phenomenalism and the egoism uh, together that I'm, that I'm that I'm that I think is causing the problem. So I, I guess here this is kind of like a way of getting back to but, the. But let me. Yeah. I, I, but I, this response. This is the you know. Uh, this is like, Dan Dennett's. Um, complaints about certain thought experiments you know somebody comes to you and asks somebody comes to a biologist and asks uh, you know whatever a a shark gave birth to a cow Uh, would it be a cow or a shark you know uh, well the way I said it it's gonna have to be a cow. but if if a shark gave birth to something that looks that moves and and eats grass and you know is it a cow or a shark and then the answer is that's a stupid question it's a, a thought experiment that um, it's just simply not going to happen and we, we just don't have to make a decision about that um, It's contrived just to just to make just To play havoc with our intuitions, but I don't think the Nozick's experience machine. I think you're being hard on it So it is a very clean case for philosophers, but there are cases that resemble it in the real world so um, cases for example of the obvious one I think is uh, an opiate addiction uh, you can get addicted to drugs that can leave you in a in a state when you when you're when you're on the drug you're in a pretty blissful state um, and of course all of your actual interests are getting neglected all your real-world interests are getting neglected um, because you're serving this purely hedonistic um, <coughs> interest that you have in being on the drug and then you have related things with for example you know playing video games all the time um, you know, uh, and there's all kinds of partial cases, you know, you go to work, you come home, your kids want to hang out with you, but you don't hang out with your kids. Uh, you just go play video games, right? Uh, so there are lots of cases, these kind of, I, you, we can think of these as, as dropout cases. It's cases where you drop out of, uh, the grind of pursuing your ordinary interests and ordinary concerns in order to go for some, some easy, pleasurable option. and I think Nozick's case is just a very pure, highly refined version of, of this kind of, of case. So I, I think you, you're doing it a disservice by suggesting that it's, uh, that it's really weird and out there. It? it is a little bit out there, but I think it, it's just a, uh, a very clean version of some ordinary world
0: uh, choices that we make. I see Nozick's machine as really out there, Um, like, it's like, it's kind of like a brain in a vat experiment, like, uh, you could have any possible experience you want just by plugging into the screen. That's, I mean, imagine the technology it would take to, it's so sci-fi. I don't know that it could ever be done. But why not just run the same thought
1: experiment with heroin? But, okay, yeah, so let's... So we've got a a refined version of heroin that doesn't cause uh, an adaptation and a tolerance to build up. Uh, So you can just keep taking it and having blissful experiences and just opting out of life.
0: So, I mean, there, we're we're again, So you're stipulating as part of the case that heroin doesn't have the, the negative effects it has. Withdrawal symptoms. Um... Yeah, I mean, there are people
1: who claim that uh, these problems are uh, partly a function of the fact that he- heroin is illegal, which means you don't you can't control your dose very carefully. But if you could, then you could have a controlled habit um, where you don't build up these tolerance. I don't know if that's true or not. I I have no. Uh, expertise in this whatsoever but I I think it's not so outlandish to stipulate that uh, some refinement in the the drugs mechanism of action is perhaps discovered and there is some controllable version of heroin that you can take for years and years the way people take um, other drugs for years and years and years without getting a tolerance
0: so yeah I guess if you could have heroin without the bad side effects should you do it. Um,
1: Well, there there will be many bad side effects insofar as you're not going to be looking after your real world interests. Uh, But it won't have, you know, uh, we can get rid of maybe the the cold turkey effects uh, when you come off it. Uh, Not that I care about that. I just care about the fact that Either you can get rid of the cold turkey or you can just take another shot of heroin, but you can keep this consistent... You can stay in this consistent state of bliss for the rest of your life if you choose to do it. If you've got the money, I guess.
0: Um, and would this state of bliss be better than if you... any The the state of bliss you could achieve without the heroin? Well, normally any... with the, the Nozick
1: Thought Experiment, a lot of the time when this thought experiment is bust open, people ask, oh, which would you choose, right? Um, and so it's, it's a question about that's supposed to get you give you some uh, insight into your preferences but we're asking it in this context I think um, with respect to whether you'd be serving your interests better by uh, taking the heroin or by um, continuing to look after what we what we'd ordinarily
0: say were your interests the welfare of your, of your, your family and so on let's flesh the case out a bit more maybe then I could give a a better answer so if by taking this this heroin or this special kind of heroin um, that means I'm not going to be tending to my children, my family, my friends and are are my relationships with them going to suffer as a result so that now I don't get any love from my children, my family my friends, I become a loner because no
1: one wants to be with me Well, in reality they're suffering but you're in a state of Chemically induced bliss, where you're uh, absolutely unaware of it. So no, maybe it doesn't matter know. to you anymore. All that matters to you is that you're getting the maybe. And I guess this is what I'm asking about: is this part of your view that really serving the um, interests of your loved ones was only a way of getting a dopamine rush? Anyway, it was only a means to an end. Uh, have you got a direct way of getting the dopamine rush? Uh, just do that?
0: <clears throat> I guess. Um, I, I maybe this is where I, I'm. I'm going to bite a bullet. But then I would argue that because it's an unrealistic bullet, it doesn't. It's not really a big cost to my view. Um, because j- just like the the imaginary button pushing example, where you could. Feel this amazing happiness that you can only experience by pressing this button, but it's going to kill everyone else in the universe. Okay, fine. I'll I'll push the button, um, but you know what significance does that have? What life lessons does that have for me, given the human being I actually am and the way the world actually is? Um, I mean, I maybe it it highlights the principle um, that's. It, it shows that I, I really am serious about doing what's best for yourself. But, but, but again,
1: I, 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 don't, I think we should distinguish between that view, your egoism, doing what's best for yourself and your egoism, plus this additional idea that what's best for yourself must always be cashed out in phenomenal fields. That's the bit that I think is more contentious here. I think there can be goods and bads that don't correspond necessarily to uh experienced feelings of pleasure and, and pain or even even the refined feelings of happiness and, and satisfaction well i mean sometimes uh, there can be goods where there's no f- so so i mean um you know i, I uh my grandfather worked as a miner, and I, I told you the story oh, yeah, before yeah. he worked his whole life he died uh, at about my age right now uh, of a variant of miner's lung and, you know, I read about this, uh, the conditions in the mines at the time that he was down there uh, in a book by George Orwell called The Road to Wigan Pier, where he actually went down the mines in my hometown uh, at the time that my granddad was going down the mines. And he describes them in such graphic detail. And what struck me was these were the exact same stories that I'd heard from my grandmother growing up about what, what it was like for him. And it's just an absolute image of hell and he worked his whole life and brought money back for his family and I don't know how often he had feelings of great pleasure but I think he served his interests uh, and I think an ego an egoist can say that um, and so they can say that it was a life well led um, from an ethical standpoint even if you know the there wasn't there weren't a lot of times when he was able to to sit back and and lean back in the hay and enjoy what he created. Uh, Nevertheless, it was a life well led. So I think maybe I would want to distinguish at least as a starting point to try and kind of make some inroads into this um, between whether you're doing something um, there may be a way of grounding interests in phenomenal fields that doesn't always require you to have the payday. Right. So if I, so you, we were talking earlier about, you realize that sometimes it's good to do something for your long-term interests, but then you get hit by a bus, so you never get you never reach payday. You never reach the day when uh, you cash you cash <laughs> all those good actions out in phenomenal uh, uh, currency, but nevertheless they were good acts, weren't they? You were looking after your your own interests, so they were ethically good acts.
0: So I do remember this conversation about using the example of your grandfather. And I remember uh, one thing I brought up was this idea of what I called metaphysical pleasure. So we might distinguish between um, instant gratification kind of pleasure that you get from eating food or having sex. And then this kind of deep mood which I'm calling Metaphysical Pleasure, which a term I got from Objectivism, Ayn Rand's philosophy, um, which is kind of like, a, it's always there, or at least it's, it's a very long-lasting kind of emotional state you're in, which um, your grand, I think your grandfather might well have had, and it's not, it's not like you have to wait for this, this payday, and you only experience the, the positively valenced emotion at this, on this one day or this free time. It's, if you think you're living this life well lived, then as you are doing that the whole time, you have this deep uh, positively valenced uh, mood, uh, which you don't have, if you think you're not living a a, a life well lived, I think in, if you thought you were not living a good uh, a life well lived, you would have it. You would be in a bad mood, a malevolent universe, the term uh, Rand uses, versus a benevolent universe. If you're confident you're living a good kind of life, in that moment you feel good about that fact. It might not be like uh, the, uh, you're smiling all the time or laughing. Um, not in any overt, obvious way, but in a deep kind of way, you feel good about yourself in a way.
1: Right. Uh, so, but I, I think maybe this is bringing us back to uh, just an ordinary question that. And
0: should, that's a phenomenal
1: experience. Should be asked of any so. ethical view, which is: um, uh, are the goods here uh, going to be uh, cashed down in terms of consequences uh, or something else? Uh, so. And in particular, do do things have to go well? So, you know, you would raise this problem for the consequentialist. You'd say, well, what if I acted with good intentions and it didn't work out? Right? Bad things happen nevertheless. Um, Well, the consequentialist can go in two directions here and you split consequentialists with questions like this. There are some who will say, oh, all that matters is what actually happened. Uh, did you cause good or did you not and others will say no there's there's uh, you got to act in order to intend to cause good Uh, that's what makes it ethical if you're just unlucky uh, that doesn't count against it as an ethical act in the same way I might ask you uh, what is acting according to your own best interest does it mean acting in such a way that your interests are ultimately served payday or um, acting in such a way that you intend your interest to be served, but it might not work out, but that would still be ethical. Uh, Or acting in a way where a reasonable person would predict that your uh, interest would be served, but it might not
0: work out. So I guess the, I mean part of me wants to say the intention is what matters, but the the reason the intention matters is because having that intention is what's most likely to lead to the, to the best consequences. But then I guess you could say, well, is it then really the consequences yeah, right. that matter? So
1: when when is my act ethical? When when uh, when can we call time and say, okay, let's evaluate that act? Um, do I have to wait until we find out whether or not my whether or not it all came good? or have I already acted ethically by the time I've served my interests whether or not by the time I've acted in order to serve my interests whether or not um I my interests ultimately end up being served by that act so I mean the the case of my grandfather is another good good case right he did serve his interest in his children growing up healthy and well um but that The moment when that happened was after he would passed, at least for most of his kids. So he never got to see that day, right? But, but it happened and it happened largely thanks to his efforts. So he served his interest in, in, and putting it in the egoistical language, he served his interest in the welfare of his kids. um, Though he never found out that he served his interest in the welfare of his kids. Right? So this is, maybe this is a slightly different case again, but uh, you know when, when does it become an ethical act uh, is it enough that you acted in a way that ultimately does that whether or not you're around to experience it or do you have to be around to experience it uh, does it have to ultimately <coughs> succeed or does it just have to be that you intend it to succeed <coughs> and that you acted as rationally as you could to make it succeed is
0: it maybe these are questions that you you haven't got a position on but I think they're interesting questions well, I do experience myself at least leaning in certain directions. Um, so maybe I have a, at least a quasi-position. Uh, I, I think it's in the moments that we can judge. I, I mean, but we have to take the long run into account. But when you say, like, when does an, eth- when does an act become ethical, uh, is it when you're doing it or is it when you get the payout, like in your grandfather's case? I think it's in the moment, like, when he's doing it. So, because that is what's under his control, and on my view, on, on Rand's view, as I understand it, um, the moral is the volitional, meaning the moral is what it, what's up to our choice, our free will, and I don't have control or choice over some outcome that happens after my death, all I have control over, at least direct control over, is what I do now, yeah. in the moment. Yeah. So that's, in some sense, that's all I can be judged by, because that's all that's up right. to me. Right. So but, but, but I can intend uh, the good,
1: I mean, so I, I'm just trying to kind of get a feel for the phenomenal aspect of your view, the experiential aspect, where you ground all the goods in experiences. And you know, I think there are sophisticated ways that you might do that. Um, but the I think you, you really need room to say something like this that you know my mom's uh, uh, happiness after my grandfather's death right I'm talking the years and years afterwards uh, you know the fact that she she grew to an adult that she had a child of her own that uh, and so on all these experiences that she had were all things that not specifically but my there were things that my grandfather intended for her. He wanted her to grow up and live a fulfilling life. Right? He may have been aware, He's not, he would have anticipated, he wasn't going to be there for all of it. He may have known given the, the line of work he was in, he might not be there for, for very much of it. You know, did he expect to live past 60? You know, not a lot of men in his line of work did. So, he knew uh, he was going to miss a big part of her life. But he was trying to set up things to be good for her. You know long after he had passed. Uh, And I think a lot of us a lot of us have uh, uh, an ethical instinct that we want to make a better tomorrow knowing we're not going to be in it. Uh, We want to we want to leave a better. We want to leave the world better than we found it. Um, And that strikes me as a noble very noble and ethical instinct. Um, Now obviously He's not serving his self-interest in a very flat-footed phenomenological sense. He's not thinking there's going to be a day when I get this pleasure as a result of this. Right? In fact much of, of the reason he's doing it is is, to, uh, is for my mom's happiness after he has departed. So I think you still might be able to ground ethics in phenomenal fields like happiness because you could say what's well, grounded in my mom's happiness uh, which is... From a grandpa's point of view, posthumous, but nevertheless, um, it's grounded in happiness. I think you could do that, but I think, uh, I think there should be enough room in, in your phenomenal reduction to to allow for that, and it's and and you're gonna have to make sure it's consistent with your egoism.
0: Yeah. So I, I would, I would want to ground it in phenomenal happiness, but not his daughter's, his own is what I would want to, I would, I would want to argue that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I find. I I would argue that like, if I put myself in this situation, if I'm the grandfather, Mm -hmm. I think in the moments of this hardship working in the mine, I would feel really good about myself for, for doing this thing. Um, it's, it makes me happy to set her up for a life of happiness. And so I think there is phenomenal. We, we keep using this term phenomenal for the audience. It just means like experiential. Um, so if you. You should, you should probably put some text much earlier <laughs> on the
1: screen. But, uh, uh, I, I tried to replace it with experiential whenever I thought of doing it. So if I know you, it's not a familiar term.
0: I think if you experience, I, I think if I am this grand, the grandfather, I think I would experience what, what I'm calling this metaphysical pleasure, this deep happiness knowing that what I'm doing now is most likely going to help my daughter out in the future so I think there is a way to ground it phenomenologically you're in his own phenomenology it's not going to be the kind of um, positive phenomenology that you get when you're you know having a relaxing at the beach um, with you know sipping a pina colada or whatever, but it's nevertheless, it's a positive phenomenology. Mm. And I remember we talked about uh, Jordan Peterson, I think, in connection with this once. And he, I think he, um, so he has this idea that uh, what matters is not happiness, but meaning. Yeah. Um, and I'm not super familiar with Peterson's view, but I think uh, if you do have a meaningful life, which... It sounds like you, your grandfather uh, may well have had if like he's got this big goal, which is to provide for his children. And that's his yeah. goal in life. And everything he does is contributing to that goal, at least a lot of what he does. I think that can provide for a very meaningful life. Right. And having so your, meaning your gives idea you a positive of, phenomenology. Right. So,
1: so your idea of metaphysical, uh, what was it? Pleasure. It? Metaphysical, metaphysical pleasure. This is, this is like this idea of meaning. But, yeah, it, at least it's in the ballpark. I don't know if they're,
0: they're exact. t loss, telos, uh, function, purpose, purpose is a good word. But but you could have a, a meaning or purpose which is like a negative one. Like if your goal in life is to be like Hitler, mm-hmm. um, you, there might be some kind of meaning to your life in the sense that you have this unifying thread which is directing all your actions. Right. But it would be negatively valenced, I, th- I think. Right. I will say one
1: last comment, I think is a good co- thing to end on, is... Um, once again, it seems like your, your egoism is uh, very much wrapped up in, uh, it, as I said earlier, you're providing a, an ethics for humans and it works better when you get to make these appeals to human nature and to human psychology and say, well, well, humans are not like that or humans are like that. In this, in this case, you're saying um, humans aren't the kind of species that don't derive metaphysical pleasure as they go, they do. They, they, uh, not, when we when we make these long-term um, investments mm-hmm. and we do something for our children knowing that the happiness that we're thinking of is happiness that's not going to manifest until after we're passed. Uh, we're the kinds of beings that get uh, some kind of payoff right there and then
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that's that's essential to defending this as an egoist view you you, you have to be dealing with a being that's like that.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's, uh, I don't see that as a cost of the view. I mean, I I think that's uh, maybe a virtue is that this, this ethics, egoist ethics, as I understand egoism, is empirical. It's derived from the way things are, from actual human nature, as opposed to an ethics which wishes we were some other kind of being and then... Right, right. Uh, yeah. Hands down, a morality for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say no. Let's let's, uh, given the kinds of beings we are, let's. Uh, Rand calls her philosophy a philosophy for living on Earth. Right. Which right. I think is you know, a, a way of capturing the idea that this is supposed to be a, a practical ethics, a practical morality, um, as opposed to like a. Well, for one, as opposed to a supernatural morality, which I think is where a lot of our ethical a lot of people's ethical thinking comes from. Or an idealized, uh, an impractical but highly idealized morality, which is how we started the conversation. Yeah, so there's this kind of dichotomy between what's moral and what's practical in many people's view. But if your goal is to figure out how to live well on this earth, and you see that as the point of morality, Mm -hmm. then morality has to be practical. Mm -hmm. The practical is the moral if you think the goal of the moral is to help you live in this earth or in your life as a human being, then anything that frustrates that is going to be immoral. So it's kind of a harmony between what's moral and what's practical and her view. Thanks for It's a good ending. Uh, we ended a,
1: where we began. So I kind of, <laughs> there's a beautiful symmetry to it. Okay. All right. Great.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks for doing the interview.